Welcome to the Mindset on Resilience podcast, where we're building more uh, competent, resilient, and mentally strong communities. I am your host, Daniel True Love, and I'm excited for the guest that we have for you all today. This man is a man that I'm honored to be connected to, uh, someone that I view as a father figure for myself who has uh, provided uh, wisdom, counsel, guidance uh, for me in my journey. Uh, overall wise guy and somebody that's well respected by everybody uh, that he's connected to. Uh, he is a, a father, uh, he's a husband, uh, author, he's an artist, and he is the former superintendent of Gadsden City Schools. Uh, overall amazing man, and I can't wait for the conversation that we are about to have today. None other than Mr. Tony Reddick. How are you doing today, sir? Doing great. I almost expected the uh, the applause track there. Just a second, the way you. <laughs> I should I should I should have added that in. I actually think we can do that, so I I have to work on that. We'll make sure we'll make sure we add that in there. Yeah, I'm doing great. I'm doing great. That's good. So first off, how's retirement going? You know, you you, you retired this year. So oh, no last no last year last year. I'm in my fifth month of retirement. It's going very well. Uh, enjoying great time being at home with my wife and, and, and being able to visit my, my grandchildren and children uh, at, at my desire and leisure. But uh, continuing with, 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 with working, working in the community, uh, still working a little bit within the school system on some grants that I was responsible for implementing um, prior to my retirement. But most importantly, taking out some time to write and to paint. I'm, I'm painting uh, portraits right now on a little portrait swing right now and uh, still, you know, finishing some books and starting some books, actually. You know, I mean, when you I once heard someone say that if you write one book, you can write many. And so that holds true because it seems that every day something new pops up in my mind. And I try to figure out, okay, how do I, you know, formulate this and which direction do I go and so on, you know, often consult my wife with, 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 with you know, her thoughts about it. Uh, and typically uh, she admonishes me to just finish what you, what you already started before I start something. Great advice, but it's hard for me to just, you know, not at least write something down, you know. Right, right, right. Understood. Understood. Listen, I have that same problem. I have a, I have about 20 tabs open right now. So I'm always having something that I'm adding great ideas. Um, but what that means is that you're, you're a creative, like you, you, you have many things that you desire to do that, um, whether they're just gifts to the world or other things that solve problems. And, um, you've done that for many years and I know that you will continue to excel uh, in doing that, uh, as you, as you continue in this next phase of life. And so, uh, I can't wait to uh, kind of hop in. I've done I've done my research, and so uh, I'm excited to kind of go a little bit through your journey. And I, I want to kind of start because I, I saw you on a, another podcast, and you uh, kind of talked about you know your your upbringing and your journey. And when we talk about resilience, man, there were some things that you had to uh, overcome very early on in life. And so, uh, do you mind sharing with me um, about? Uh, your uh, father and the relationship that you all had and uh, how that impacted you, uh, you know, kind of growing up? Yeah, uh, you know, well, I, I didn't really have a relationship with my father. In fact, I met him just twice in, you know, my life. Uh, uh, once uh, when I was 17 years old and then again at 18 years old. But, you know, throughout that journey to that point in life, I, I recognized that there was a father somewhere and um, didn't communicate much with him. I, I think my mom did communicate with him some, and she'd often, you know, tell me how he's asked about the children. You know, that that was their relationship and, and results of their relationship, basically. And I hate to use the word deprived, of course, but certainly, for lack of a better word, deprived me of a relationship with him because they separated and went, you know, went their separate ways and, and they were really too far apart geographically for me to even consider an opportunity to spend time with him. And so, um, you know, I had to kind of look to other father figures in and around the community in which I, I was raised. And, and there were only three really, you know, fathers who lived with their biological children that, that I, I recognized. Um, you know, there were some husband and wife teams, but the, but the children either had grown up and gone away or they didn't have children. And so, uh, you know, we looked to those in our community who, who we felt 
were good fathers, regardless to what their circumstances are, their faults were. You know, we always recognize that, hey, that's that's Robert's mom and dad. They lived together. So we didn't have that dynamic in our in our household. Uh, but I, I tried not to let that be a hindrance to me uh, because I did have, you know, three older brothers and one younger brother. And, and they, too, had become fathers at a very early age. Um, and, and certainly they, they were the best fathers they knew how to be as to whether or not a, a good example for me, uh, you know, it's, it's questionable. Uh, I kind of relied a little bit on just, you know, watching television fathers, you know, of course, back during that time, well before, you know, the Bill, Bill Cosby was the father that, that most black households looked up to, you know, on, uh, you know, Leave it to Beaver and, <laughs> and my sons and shows like that. I'm aging myself. Uh, and so you kind of got an idea of, of what the, the, the husband, wife, the father, mother relationship was like, but you know, it was, it was all Hollywood, but uh, I, I dared to dream that someday that I could be that kind of father. And so that's, that's kind of what developed my whole um, persona in terms of growing up to be, be a, a good father to my own children someday. Yeah. And, and that's the thing that I kind of want to touch on because you kind of spoke of, that even though you didn't have that example, um, that's not a reason for you not to go and be what you didn't have. You kind of said, well, if I wish that I had this, then I can go in, I can go and be that. Uh, kind of telling me about kind, kind of how you developed that, uh, that mindset to say, hey, just because I don't have, because some people say I don't have that, and uh, it's, it's an excuse uh, in a way to like kind of, you know, live life uh, as a result of your circumstances. But you seem to say that you're not going to live life based on your circumstances and you went on to do some amazing things even within your, you know, your childhood. Yeah, and that's one of us a mantra of mine, you are not your circumstances. And of course, you know, you as I said, you have the luxury of looking around you and I think, you know, sometimes, you know, lack breeds motivation you have a tendency to see others with things that you don't have, whether it's, you know, fine clothes or a nicer place to live or a car or whatever have you in terms of your, your, your childhood friends and those uh, who you go to school with. So I, I um, grew up in a, in a neighborhood and we call it a housing development. My mom gets after me when I call it the project, but you know, that's what it was a project. So, uh, you know, and, and, and all of us were pretty much kind of in the same predicament with the exception of those few of my friends who did have a biological uh, father and mother in the, in the home. And of course, in those neighborhoods, whether there was a biological mother or father or not, all the single mothers, you know, had a, had a gentleman suitor <laughs> at, at, at some point, you know. And so, um, you know, I never really tried to, to depend too much on that because as life goes, so do gentleman suitors. <laughs> lady suitors for that matter. And so um, that lack just helped me to develop an idea that what I see on the other side of the tracks or whatever have you is possible uh, because I, 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 I it's manifested in, in these people that I know. So why can't it happen for me? And so rather than uh, lament over not having a, a father to come home to or a father who comes home to you because you don't know what you're going to get with that. I mean, there are some people who are raised with a biological father who was an absolute terror. You know, I, I had the pleasure of uh, watching the uh, Tyler Perry uh, documentary not too long ago, and, and it sounds out as if he had a horrible childhood with his, in terms of his relationship with his father. So you have situations like that that occur. But we're very blessed with a loving mom and, and, and you know, caring brothers and sisters uh, with, you know, whatever limitations they may have had. Uh, but it allowed me to aspire to, to, to do more and to be more. And I realized that the one way to accomplish that was, was through education. And I unfortunately am a, a first generation high school graduate and first generation college uh, attendee. Uh, but I, I found my solace in, uh, in going to school and, and, and learning not just subject matter, but about the people uh, with whom I, I attended school every day, uh, despite the difficulty of getting there for the most part after, after you know, seventh grade. But I, I learned from that. 
and um, I think my imagination was pretty wild. And hey, I don't know if I've accomplished all that I'm capable of just yet, but <laughs> I hope not. But that's, that was kind of the onus of uh, my uh, developing into who I am now. Even in an early age, that kind of allowed you to have some opportunities because since you did um, have that motivation, and I love the terminology that you use, lack breeds motivation. And, uh, you know, so that lack for you bred this, uh, this motivation for you to go and excel. And you uh, talk about you went to a, a preparatory school or is that what you're talking about with the travel, along long travel? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. We were very fortunate. I say we because it was myself and two other of my, my local uh, then public school classmates. And they lived, one of the gentlemen lived just a couple of doors uh, from me, uh, three to be exact doors from me in the home housing community. And the other lived no more than two miles away. But we all went to, to the same uh, uh, middle school, if you will, elementary middle school. And we were blessed with a visit from a gentleman uh, who came to our Theodore Roosevelt Junior High School and said they were looking for, this is 1973, you know, when, when desegregation, forced busing, all that stuff was taking place, where a lot of uh, kids were actually forced to get on yellow school buses to go to schools out in the suburbs, and as well as the suburban kids had to come to school in the city. But we were asked to attend a very prestigious private school, St. Sebastian's Country Day School for Boys and for Boys, uh, just 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 referred to as St. Sebastian's School now. And uh, we were the top three performing students in, in seventh grade at that time. And uh, I remember it was John Moran, I believe was his name. I know it was Mr. Moran, um, came and spoke with us at the high, at the school. And then he went home to talk with my mom, of course, the other two boys' mom as well. And when I got home that evening, uh, that afternoon after school, my mom said that a man came by the house and he talked to me about you going to a private school. Do you want to go? And I immediately said, yeah. You know, I'd grown up in elementary school, you know, fourth and fifth grade in particular, admiring Michael Jackson and the Jackson Five and even had a, me and four other guys had our own little singing group, you know, never did anything more than sing at school, of course. Uh, one of them, Chris Graham's father, actually had a had an album out at the time, and so we we thought we were going to be uh, the next Jackson Five. But most importantly, I knew that Michael Jackson didn't go to public school. I thought he went to private school if he went at all. So I said, if Michael Jackson can go to private school, then I can too. And you know, there's there's a case of that lack breeding motivation, but we also realized that success breeds look motivation as well. So the, the more you begin to accomplish, the more you want. And and so went to St. Sebastian's in the fall of 1973. And, uh, you know, it, it was, it was uh, we were very well accepted, by except maybe one student who, who, who pollard, you know, look at the rain blew in, you know, three black kids attending school predominantly. Well, in fact, it was, I think there was never more than seven black students there the whole time I was, I was there, you know. Um, but uh, we, were, we were eventually accepted and, and, and just had a great time there. As far as the, 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 the trek to school, yeah, I took three, you know, public buses and a train to get to school pretty much every morning. You know, that may all be altered somewhere or another, depending on the time of the morning, the weather and whatever, because we walked with part of the way home most of the time, but certainly getting to school, wanting to get there on time, you know, you just took whichever buses were, you know, showed up first, you know, whether it was a train or basically four, four, you know, uh, stops. So when I hear that, I'm like, wow, when, when you have a desire, like it's, you got you got to take whatever path it takes in order for you to get there. But that it, it does require some internal motivation, you know, some intrinsic motivation in order for you uh, to have that desire. And uh, one of the things that I love is that uh, you said yes to the opportunity. So there, there, somebody else, you know, be in that same situation. Oh, no. What about what about this? And you think about this, that, and the third, but it's like when, when opportunity knocks, you know, you have to make sure you take advantage of those. Absolutely. And, and that manifests itself in everything that I did did at St. Sebastian's, including, you know, in, in the Sandlots, you know, we were great athletes. We did playground, uh, basketball, you know, uh, street football, Sandlot baseball. We play sports all the time. And I had never but I'd never played an organized sport. I'd never been to any kind of camp, summer camp, sports camp or otherwise. 
and my mom couldn't afford to send me to places like that. And I can remember, you know, uh, in particular, there was a camp called Agassiz Village, A-A-G-A-S-S-I-Z. Uh, and, and a few of my neighborhood kids would go and talk about it, but I never could go. And so when I got to St. Sebastian's and realized that there was so many, and pretty much everybody looked different from me, and, and, and these were kids who were, you know, getting a ride to school, or the older kids who, you know, 16 and over, they were driving to school, you know. And I started playing organized sports for the first time um, and, and, and excelled at that, you know. And, 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 and again, had a great deal of assistance from one of the former coaches and or athletic equipment directors. Um, that that helped in that motivation. Someone who saw enough in me to say, "There's uh, there's potential here." And again, I, I don't know if he saw my talent or he saw my need, but whatever it was, he addressed it, and I responded by accepting, you know, the, the support, and then paying it off with hard work, both in the classroom and in the in the on the playing fields. Now, the classroom part didn't start out quite well because. You know, I, I excelled in public school. Everything came easy to me. And so when I got to this particular school, first of all, I had to study Latin. I had a, had a class of Latin and, 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 you know, civics and courses that we didn't have at the public school. And so I, I failed that Latin class, uh, you know, my first year there. And that cut short my playing, my organized playing for a while, for at least a year or a semester at least, you know. And, uh, but I was determined that I wasn't going to fail anything anymore. And, and my failure was just due for a lack of effort for the most part or, or not really knowing how much effort to put into it. Uh, it was a lot more demanding than in, in public school. And so, you know, declining Latin verbs, you know, wasn't any big deal to me. You know, I'm thinking to myself, I mean, certainly I know what Latin is, but I've never heard it spoken or read it or anything like that. But this uh, was a very rigorous academic uh program in our school um, so i not to fail anymore so i think that's i think you notice that everybody and and i know you're a, a guy that uh, loves stories you're a guy that loves uh uh history and uh just you as we've had a conversation before you told me about a couple of things but the thing that i'm, I'm bringing up now is that uh, in a lot of people's story there's there's that that failure or, or what i would call it failing forward opportunity to where you you meet this uh, adversity and Michael Jordan didn't make his was an elementary or middle school basketball team but then he becomes arguably the greatest uh, basketball player of all time and many people you hear like that there's there's some adversity that they hit but it's, it's all about the way in which you respond to that and it seems like yours was instead of repeating um, that moment and thinking that moment was going to be something that for some it could be oh man this is just how it is no you said I'm, this will never uh, never happened again. And because of that, uh, you were able to excel. And one of the things I want to kind of uh, bridge that too is because uh, when you think about fatherlessness, uh, there's 18.3 uh, million uh, individuals that grow, uh, grow up in fatherless uh, households. And they're considered statistics, which means that they don't all the time have that, you know, have the adversity, but not necessarily overcoming those adversities at the time. And so tell me a little bit about, you know, how you were able to um, develop that continuous work ethic or whatever it was that allowed you to, you know, excel and move forward and not repeat a failure. Yeah, you know, to start with, I think about that 18 million that you're talking about, you know, we could we could conceivably say, well, it started with one, you know, and then it grew, you know, so that was something that was over a period of time. Therefore, I had the realization that, that, you know, if, if, and I was already looking toward my own children, of course, even as early as, as a teenager or even preteen, uh, having, and, and I use the word suffer as in suffering for not having had the father at home, but we didn't suffer as much as I really thought we did growing up, you know, you know, certain things that you just didn't have. You know, we never had a family car. Yeah, my shoes did have holes in the bottom, you know, the ones I had on my pants or clothes did. 
you know, but uh, there was love in our household. And I think that was more than anything else. And a hardworking mom, you know, two and three jobs and, 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 and siblings who we got along with, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of competition between us, you know, uh, each one having, you know, their own skill set and doing their own thing. And uh, me being the middle child, one who had a childhood accident that may have, you know, provided me a little bit more sympathy, you know, uh, from my, my, my siblings. I don't know if it did or did, but maybe it did. But, but again, goes back to that lack, realizing that, that there were things happening in, in, in with, the, with the families that I knew, even, even locally, as I said, there were certain things that others had that we didn't have. You know, again, being raised with eight brothers and sisters, uh, I don't recall which other families in my neighborhood had that many, you know, members. Uh, but we, we basically had to kind of scrap for, for, for everything. But what was free was education. Again, it was it was education. And now, again, I, I'm a first generation uh, uh, high school graduate. So therefore, my four uh, oldest siblings, three brothers and, and sister, you know, at some point gave up on, on education, you know, some quite intentionally and some circumstantially. You know, my, my, my sister was married at, at about 15 or 16 years old, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, my brothers, uh, you know, went to the military or dropped out of school to go to work or just dropped out because they just didn't like school anymore. And I started to kind of see that, uh, although they never really shared with me what their goals and objectives in life were, you know, and some of them you could see just by their actions. And I didn't think it was really that good a thing, you know. Uh, Clearly, I, I, you know, I, I had a, a brother who dabbled in some things that would, oh, you guess you would say they were illegal, you know, <laughs> and found myself being pulled in that direction. I don't think for harm, just because just you, you're my little brother kind of thing, you know, and so I thought, no, I, I don't want to do that. And so when that opportunity presented itself every morning to get up and go into a different environment, uh, school, uh, I really tried to take advantage of it. By the time the St. Sebastian's opportunity came about, I just saw a whole nother world. You know, there, there were people that didn't look like look like me. But uh, as early as, as ninth grade, which was my second year at St. Sebastian's, a young man by the name of Ted Degman uh, invited me to his home for the weekend. And um, it was it was just quite a, a pleasant experience. It was a television type experience. And I couldn't help but think that just because I don't have that going for me in my life doesn't mean I shouldn't want it for my own children. And so therefore I, I could break, I could be a part of breaking that, that cycle of, of fatherlessness, at least in my home, you know, and maybe motivate some other people to, to try to do the same thing, at least aspire to do the same thing, you know, friends and, and other relatives. Uh, so, yeah, it, it's just uh, realizing that this is a vast world, you know, uh, I don't know if there was 300 million people in the United States at the time like there is now, but uh, there's a lot of, of opportunity for, for anybody who, who thrives uh, or who desires it. And uh, I just had the nerve to think that I could. Well, I th and one of the things I love about that is that your experience kind of shaped you because you go on to... Uh, education obviously created some opportunities for you, and then you be you become an educator, and uh, you kind of seems like you've had a intentionality about you that says that I'm gonna go be that um, father figure uh, for uh, all the you know young males that I have the opportunity or young females I'm, I'm not sure of, uh, all, but that I have an opportunity to play that role for me so. I didn't have this, but I'm going to make sure that somebody else does have that which I desired in my life. And you shared a story that I would love for you to touch on a little bit. Uh, you had a program, and uh, Dirk and Jerome, uh, tell me a little bit about um, how you played a, a part in their life and, and, and what made you do that. Well, I'm glad you asked that last part, what made me do that, because I have to preface this that question with, you know, how, uh, all of, you know, the, the, the Credit goes to to my wife and her family. Um, you know, throughout college, my wife and I met at at, at Talladega College our freshman year. I won't tell tell that story. That take up half, half the time. 
but uh, when when we uh, when we were dating, I got a chance to to meet her parents, and they were just amazing parents. And I I got a chance to to, to actually visit her uh, um, uh, at her home during our college experience, and and and, and that was it. It's like wow, you know, yeah, this is exactly what I'm looking for, mom and dad. They both were educators, you know, to start with. And um, fast forward, by the time we, we, we married in, 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 uh, in 84, uh, and I became a permanent fixture in the household, I just observed uh, her dad as an educator, as an activist, uh, as an independent man. And, and, you know, he helped me to, to determine certain things that I wanted to do or, or certain ways I wanted to act. You know, he used to say of, of my mother-in-law, uh, my wife's mother, uh, uh, I don't know if she loves me, but she acts like she does. <laughs> you know, I thought that that's pretty cool there. You know, <laughs> I like that. And so he was one, one, one who inspired me to go into education. I thought I was going to be an astronaut. That's what I wanted to be uh, when I went to college. I majored in physics. And then I realized that, you know, this academic uh, program and, and, and playing college basketball and and being in a fraternity and, and socializing didn't fit me you know so I, I eventually changed my major but uh, that mathematics degree uh, became you know provided me the opportunity to go into education because my, my father-in-law asked me to consider teaching when I was you know I, I, my first I guess part-time job was like a Kmart and then I tried selling some cars at a, a Cadillac dealership and I, and I taught a class at a business college, you know, just menial type stuff. And uh, when he invited me to to join the education uh, uh, field uh, and, and had the connections for the interviews and maybe somebody owed him a favor, I don't know, but they, they hired me just the same. But, you know, once hired, I just took full advantage of the opportunity. And, and, and you mentioned me retiring early on uh, in this interview. Uh, I'm 35 years of working. I only miss six days of work, you know, and, and it were, were it not for uh, childbirth, uh, my wife probably would have beat me at that. And so we just had that commitment with household to start with. And so, um, you know, fortunately, the, the blessings, uh, the gifts from God allowed me to have something to bring to the educational arena because I was hired to teach French and uh, art and eventually math, which is what my degree was in. And so uh, I, I just learned a lot, mostly from an observational standpoint, because my father-in-law and I, we never really sat down and had long conversations. He, he, he wasn't really one who, who sat down and had a lot of long conversations. You know, he, he, you could hang out with him all day, but you know, he loved watching the news and those kinds of things and commenting, but uh, we didn't have a lot of philosophical things, you know, conversations. Uh, at the same time, though, I was able to observe him and, and his comings and goings and whatever have you and help me to develop, you know, the type of uh, attitude, if you will, that I, I wanted to exhibit as a, as a, as a father. And then, again, um, looking forward to becoming a father, uh, you know, knew, knew what the responsibility was, you know, knew what, what, you, what your parental responsibilities were. If growing up, again... Um, I'm backtracking here a little bit because when we start thinking about fatherhood and the lack thereof, uh, and sports has been a big part of my life, but no one in my family ever saw me play organized sports except my mother for one half of a basketball game, uh, which was a recreational game, and one half of a high school football game. So you can imagine uh, after ball games when parents were coming in and, and, and greeting their kids and put them in the car and taking them home. And little old me, I just have to just kind of grab my backpack or whatever have you and go and wait on that bus, you know, for anybody at the ball games. And, and so that breeded, you know, a little bit of motivation as well. I, I, I still uh, accomplished a lot. I mean, you know, my mom was thrilled at getting the newspaper and seeing where I'd scored a certain number of points or in a basketball game or a couple of touchdowns in a football game. And she, she, she was thrilled by that. Um, and little did I know until much later on after my father died, um, she had sent that stuff, sent those clippings to my father as well. So 
he had an opportunity from long distance to kind of enjoy uh, whatever success I was experiencing as a young as a young man, as a young boy and young man. And uh, I was just thrilled when um, after he passed uh, about eight eight years ago, and I think it is, um, my older brother went to to what would have been, I guess, a funeral. And because uh, he lived in Cleveland and he brought back a bunch of stuff and including that stuff was just a, 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 an envelope of all the things that my mom had sent him. Yeah, so all that stuff is, is kind of motivational. Yeah. And Dirk, you asked me about Dirk and Jerome, I almost got off. So Dirk and Jerome, well, that entire reach out group was a bunch of kids, again, in another housing uh, community, housing project like, like the one I grew up in. Uh, I, I don't know that I, I knew a single father in that community. You know, once again, there were some women who had some boyfriends and maybe some live-ins or whatever have you, but I didn't didn't meet a single father, all mothers. And so I had their children, both the boys and the girls. My wife and I was right alongside, my wife was right alongside with me through, through this adventure um, and went into um, Jacksonville Court, what it was called, the hearing gas, and we refer to it as 6th Street, you know. Uh, just, just fathered those kids. Just acted like a father. Those kids. We, we it was through a program uh, with a uh, quality of life health service incorporated program, which I serve on the board right now. Uh, started in 1989, working this program. And Dirk and Jerome were amongst the group of kids who who, who were fatherless. And interestingly enough, just uh, a year ago, Dirk uh, shared the story with me about who his father was and how he ended up in Sixth Street. And so it's a very dynamic story. Uh, um, you know, I've included these guys in my String of Pearls book, for example. But they were kids who you, you look at them and, and, and they will seem to be just the homeliest of kids in the neighborhood. You know, they may not have been, but they, they had a mom at home who I didn't realize so much later was probably traumatized by uh, the, the former relationship with the father. And, and, and Dirk and Jerome have given me consent to talk about this stuff, by the way. Um, and, uh, and these kids were just, just, just fitting in. They were just fitting in. And so as they grew older, they actually moved away uh, from Gadsden and later on contacted me as they matriculated through high school and eventually college and expressed their gratitude for whatever it was that I had done from I I didn't realize it was that important to them they were like many of the kids who would come to our home and, and spend the night and sleep on the floor in front of the television and you know we'd feed them generally pizza and hot dogs that's what they liked you know or they'd jump on the trampoline outside or just enjoy you know the yard and I had little idea as to how significant that was to them we became like another family to them, although, you know, their visits weren't that frequent whenever they did. Uh, they really enjoyed it because we take them on, on field trips through the through the reach out program. And so these got to do things that they probably never dreamed of at, at, at such an age. And I still see a lot of them today. And they, they, that's all they talk about is, is reach out. But Dirk and Jerome went on to do some great things. As a matter of fact, as we speak, um, Jerome is uh, um, a, a, a former uh, black engineer of the year i thought he'd won that award twice but he confirmed for me he's only won it once but he's a senior electrical engineer with the raytheon corporation dirk is an entrepreneur uh movie director um home builder and right now he's doing a contract overseas for a substantial amount of money but uh we we we, we are in touch you know we just uh they'll send me messages you know updating me on what what's going on in their lives or sometimes I just send a hey guys just checking in on y'all how are you doing and they all hear from us yeah. one of the things that I love about kind of your journey and obviously you uh, went on not only were you a, a math teacher French uh, you became a, an administrator became a principal uh, but then uh, also served uh, as superintendent as well and I, I think it's uh, interesting and it's uh, quite amazing that um, you, I remember I came down, the, uh, uh, came down to see you and, uh, we were sitting there having a meeting and, uh, there was a knock on your door and a young lady came into the office and, uh, you were, you were prepping her for the ACT and, uh, he was like, oh yeah, we, we got in, I got an appointment here, got an ACT, but 
not only that, you were a superintendent that mentored. Uh, not many, you know, probably superintendents out there uh, show up at 3.30, o'clock after already, you know, having a very busy day, spending time mentoring. Uh, tell me a little bit about your, your mentoring journey and just some of the experiences that you've had uh, with that. Yeah, that's great. You know, and, and all that really is about is recognizing need or desire for that matter. Uh, you know, I uh, I felt like I've, I've been underachiever most of my life because of what I didn't know, you know. Uh, you know, I have no re regrets whatsoever that, in the path that life took me. But, you know, you look around some folks, I wished I'd accepted that, uh, that, 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 I think proposal or offer to go and coach college basketball one year. We, you know, we had a young man that went to Dartmouth College, and I talked with the the head coach at that time. He seemed to hint to me that he might want me to consider coming in and in, in coaching with him. And I thought, no, I don't know coach college basketball. Well, high school is one thing you do that because you're a teacher. And now I see coaches making like eight million dollars a year. I thought, well, maybe I should have gone that route. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I have no regrets whatsoever in, in regards to that either, uh, nor, you know, one or two of the other uh, opportunities that were presented to us, uh, my wife and I, over the years, especially in the Massachusetts area when we were living there. But, but it's just really about uh, seeing the need of children and knowing that you have enough of you to, to go around, you know, to at least help you. And if you teach each one to teach another, uh, that thing just kind of snowballs and perpetuates uh and, you know speaking of, of dirk again i'll never forget him um i invited him to speak at a at a, at a banquet at the quality of life banquet and uh he brought with him uh $25,000 asking me to select two students to to give it to as a scholarship you know from his organization and i'm thinking here's a kid who you know uh, grew up in in this the housing projects here you know, and it had very just, just almost abject poverty. And here he comes back some, I would say 20, 15, 20 years later, and, he, and he's giving, you know, $12,500 to two different kids, so $25,000. But most importantly, he, he, he gives me the privilege of selecting the kids. And he brought me a little award too. So, you know, I don't really, you know, that's, that's important. I don't care much about awards or whatever happened, but that particular one made, made, made uh, me very So yeah, the mentoring is easy for me because I think that most kids have, whether they know the, know the term aspiration or not, they, they want to do something or they want to be something. And if you don't, you know, assist in some kind of way, they can very easily, you know, take, take the first carrot that's dangled at them and, and not realize that, that that's not really a carrot at all. You know, it's just a piece of metal painted painted uh, orange, and as soon as you bite it, your teeth are going to fall out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so you've done a, a lot of mentoring, and um, obviously, um, I like to call it the ripple effect. You know, you've been able to, uh, fortunately, see um, through Dirk, Dirk and Jerome and so many others um, that have now decided to pay it forward. Um, and um, while you were superintendent, I know there were uh, different initiatives that you all uh, started, and you mentioned that kind of when our conversation began, um, one of those being the uh, the Grace Academy and other one is Escape. And it sounds like you're you're not all the way retired because you're still involved with Escape, it sounds like. Absolutely, absolutely. As a matter of fact, I'm still involved with both programs, uh, Escape, uh, Enhancing Success, through uh, community and and uh, parental engagement, that's what Escape is an acronym for. Um, and so, with Escape, um, um, it sounds like it is it's parental engagement, but we realize that parents need help with their kids who are going to go to college or won't desire to go to college. So, I'm doing ACT prep with the Escape program uh, for for five weeks. And um, it's just something that's part of the grant. It's part of our part, not, not so much part of the escape grant, but part of one of the other grants. Listen, as superintendent this final year, this past year, we 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 come, we got nearly three million dollars worth of grants. You know, I hired a grant writer who does a fantastic job, and she basically takes my ideas and dreams and finds money to to to, to put them in, in, into action. You know, and so escape is one of those. 
and uh, I still do ACT prep for those five weeks in preparation for the February 10th test. And then with Grace Academy, Gadsden Readiness and a Career Education Academy, we're, um, it's a, pro a free program for adults and students, with pr preferably students. I mean, obviously, because they have to get CCR credits and what have you, but teaching uh, uh, carpentry, electrical technology, uh, heating, ventilation, air conditioning, refrigeration, and um, plumbing. And so I go there to meet with the high school students uh, four days a week. Uh, and you know, I, I teach construction math as, as needed. And when I'm not doing that, I'm right there with them cutting and sawing and hammering and making stuff, you know? Uh, so I presence there. And, and what I love about that is that, and though I've been gone, you know, four months now, for almost five months now, when the kids walk in, especially a new group, they still know, they know who I am, you know? While as kids are apt to do, you know, they don't show the kind of reverence to the instructors because these are like old men who are retired and they're doing it, you know, fun and, and, a, and a fee, of course. Uh, I can step in there and kind of, you know, redirect them and make sure that they are, they are paying attention and following instruction and, and being safe. So I get a chance to do this program still. One of the things that I love is that you, <clears throat> you talked about hiring this grant writer and uh, you made a way um, to uh, make an impact. Uh, and so uh, two questions, the first one being, uh, thinking about your journey as a superintendent, what is the, what is the one thing that, uh, or what things are you uh, most proud of that you were able to uh, accomplish um, as, as a superintendent? Well, you know, there are so many. I, 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 as a matter of fact, I think I, I just as a means of satisfying my, my board, I, I, I wrote a list of accomplishments, you know, and I stopped at 30, you know, at 30, I believe it was. But uh, obviously, one of the things that I, I try to do is, um, is to develop a, a good and, and, I, and I don't say good as in as in I'm comparing it to any other uh, superintendent, but certainly a good relationship with my, my central office staff, but much more so with my high school and middle school and elementary principals, and most importantly, be a presence in the, in the lives of the children. Uh, if anyone goes to my, uh, my, I guess it would be my X page, or I think it's going to be my Twitter page, you'll see uh, pictures of me involved with kids, I mean everything from climbing a hundred feet uh, on a fire truck ladder in the sky because we've got a fire fireman's academy, and, and I'm trying to be the example for you know kids who who are afraid of heights, you know, or or, or dressing up like Spider Man or the Black Panther on Halloween and, and going to the elementary schools and interacting with the kids, and you know. Um, uh, just just being a presence um, there, so people know who the superintendent is. When I became superintendent, our uh, my you know model was um, innovating, leading, and succeeding. And we did a, a billboard campaign where we made sure that all of our central office staff's faces was planted on a billboard. And I told them, I said, listen, when you uh, go to Walmart, and people are going to see you. They're going to know who you are. You be prepared to answer any question they might have about our school system or any situation involved. But I think just being there uh, in the school, I go to all the schools. First day, first two days of school, I visit every school on the first day if possible. The ones I miss on the first day, I go the second day. And interestingly enough, in, in my retirement, I went to all the schools on my um, that that final week of uh, of my prior to my retire. I mean, start of the school year, and um, and two days before I retired, I was in a classroom at the high school teaching teaching a math class. You know, in a business, you know, it was a business class, but they were they were having trouble um, multiplying like decimals and whatever for accounting. And I went in and taught that class two days before retirement. So. I was a superintendent, active superintendent, um, and, and and like I said, the most important part is just just being at work every day, you know, being. At, uh, so yeah, it was a yeah, but yeah, thirty five in this six days, but you know, two years, yeah, five years. But we lots of programs to school. I guess that was the nature of your question, accomplishments. But I think what I shared with you most of 
most important accomplishment is, 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 the, is the presence. But, you know, the grant programs, you know, we, we, we put, um, you know, you are, it's, it's, there's, there's an abundance, you know, there's an abundance of just. One thing I want to say is that um, maybe there's somebody that is a form, uh, uh, an aspiring, uh, you know, superintendent. <clears throat> what is what is maybe one of the biggest challenges? Probably the last question I asked before 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 we land the plan. What's one of the biggest challenges that you um, experienced as a superintendent? If you don't mind sharing. Well, clearly, uh, no one had to uh, <laughs> go through what we did during the COVID years. You know, it hadn't happened in 108 years, I think, at the time. Uh, so navigating that was 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 quite a challenge. But the challenge wasn't so much the navigation of it. Of dealing with indifference of opinion when it comes to those kinds of things. I, 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 I prided myself on being available, and there are times when, you know, you nobody ever likes, everybody, let's say it that way, not everybody likes decisions that you have to make. I made it a point of saying that every decision that I made as a superintendent was for the betterment or benefit of the students, okay? Because that's what public education is about, educating children, you know, socially, emotionally, you know, spiritually as well. Um, and so we realize that we live in, a, in, a, in a, a society where not every child who comes to school comes from an educated household. Um, and I don't mean that in a derogatory way, I just mean that that didn't mean that some, some people just made some decisions and the, re, and the result was, you know, maybe you're in a household where there is no father. Maybe you're in a household where there's no mother because grandmama is, is, is doing the raising. And um, you, uh, you you have those kinds of things happening. And and, and I, I just uh, felt like, you know, providing for your students was, 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 was of most uh, important, was, the, was most important. And uh, so to, 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 but, but, but uh, trying to please everybody, trying to please parents, trying to make sure that they have, uh, they have uh, uh, an opinion, of course, but that their opinion is not, we don't take their opinion for granted, but we have to guide and direct them so that they, they understand. And there have been times when, I mean, parents get on the phone, I want to talk to superintendent, and they are. I mean, I'm talking about mad as a wet hen, and by the time I'm done talking with them on the phone, phone, they are apologetic. They are expressing gratitude. They're saying, you know, just all a bunch of nice stuff. They're basically saying, I, I, I understand. You know, um, one of my greatest accomplishments, I think, is too, is uh, I built a a, a a a sports complex. Now, I I want to emphasize here. Uh, contrary to a lot of people's belief, I'm a sports fan, but it's not my top priority. But in our school system for the last, I mean, certainly the 17 years in this particular school, but even prior to that, um, our, our baseball and softball and tennis teams had to travel three miles uh, across town to go to practice because they practiced on public fields. And when the high school was built in 2006, it did not include, the initial plans probably included, but it did not include a baseball field or tennis courts or softball field. And so I built that uh, uh, because one, not just for the sport, but for the safety, my, my, my priority, safety of our kids. You know, we learned that in the public field, because it's public, we had people coming to games, you know, panhandling and making our uh, uh, visiting fans uncomfortable, you know, and what have you. And, and people talk about you when that happens, you know. You have you have a, a group saying when we we went to a baseball game in Gadsden City and you know it was awful. Bill was right there on the highway. You know, I think there was at one point where there was a car wreck and and one of the cars nearly you know ran into the dugout. You know, I, I made it a priority to get that taken care of. We have one of the finest uh, baseball, softball, and tennis complexes in the in the state of Alabama. So that was a big deal. Well, that's awesome. One of the things that I'm, I'm grateful for. And I just want to applaud you for uh, being a being a man that uh, a man of the people, as, as they would say, uh, being a man that uh, that cares about this next generation and made sure that while you had the opportunity and still have the opportunity, uh, you're doing everything that you can uh, to to move the needle forward uh, to make sure that uh, I won't say that we have excuses, but there's no excuse. You you had the opportunity, and I made sure uh, that we did things that uh, that created those for you, and so. Uh, we do this thing at the end of our uh, podcast, 
Uh, it is called Better Days Ahead. And what it is, is, is it's encouragement uh, for anybody out there, uh, whether you're an educator, administrator, or just, you know, anybody. Um, maybe you have spent some, some challenges. Maybe you're going through some adversity. Do you have a mantra or any type of wisdom or advice uh, that you would like to give to somebody um, that, you know, that there are better days ahead? Yeah, yeah, actually, yeah. You know, the first thing that I've already said is that, you know, you are not your circumstances. You know, circumstances arise, but you have to rise. Circumstances arise, but you have to rise above them. And there's an opportunity for that. And I noticed that uh, as I read some of you, you know, you, 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 you write it here, you talk about purpose. And, and uh, uh, without uh, planning, there is no purpose. And so in life, you have to have an idea about what it is you want to accomplish. There are copious resources to do so. And I remember when I, when I start the superintendent, and my, my teachers were wanting to, you know, do all this professional development stuff, for example. And I realized it was costing us a tremendous amount of money, some $360,000 a year for, for uh, our staff to do professional development, like going, you know, conferences and whatever. And I said, well, wait a second. Well, what are y'all bringing back? You know, what are you bringing back from those conferences? You can't just go and hang out at the beach and have a, these nice meals and stay in these, these four-star hotels. And you come back and... Nobody hears anything about it. So I, I start, I, I told them, I, I need your plan. And so again, planning before purpose. So planning, first of all, and I use it as an acronym. I'm, I'm big on these acronyms. Purpose, uh, it plan. A plan has to be purposeful. It has to be led. It has to be achievable. And it has to be networked. Because, you know, me sitting at home and, writing books and painting pictures and then when I'm done with them I just kind of toss them aside in a closet for example doesn't satisfy anybody with me you know if I'm satisfied with it so uh, you know you're not your circumstances you can rise above whatever those circumstances are especially as it relates to the desire to to be a good father or a good mother or a good teacher or what have you and so um, I, I just think that that's a big big deal is this this world is so vast and has so many opportunities you kind of get to choose and pick what you want to do and, and, and sometimes you're led in a particular direction that although you have been successful at it you decide you want to do something that you want to do because a lot of times we do things based on what somebody has advised us to do or we're following in someone else's footsteps which is still fantastic but all of us within us has something that we desire uh, for which we may not have a blueprint for just yet and so it's kind of like what you're doing on this platform here you and i met through a, a mutual friend mr terry roller told me about you one time said i gotta hook you up with this guy you know and i said well yeah absolutely because he knew the kind of person that i was and that i would be very receptive of meeting a, a, a young man like yourself and uh and we've hit it off and i think that that's significant that that you continue to grow in in your walk as well uh because hey you, you did research on me and, and i did a little research on you <laughs> yes, sir well i well i appreciate i appreciate you i appreciate the presence that you've been in my life and uh, i appreciate all the things that you've done and so i wanted to end this by uh just uh congratulating you on a job well done. I think the two best words that you can ever hear within your life is well done. And so for me to you, I just want to say, Mr. Reddick, well done. Uh, well done, sir. Uh, so uh, for anybody out there, I want to leave you uh, with what he just told us, um, that there are better days ahead. Uh, plan, plan, rise above. You're not your circumstances. Put a plan on place and get to exactly where you're supposed to be. Thank you all so much for your time. Thank you, Mr. Reddick. And you all have an amazing day.